The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora tato, this is Toby Manhai with another episode of your friendly local politics podcast, Gone by Lunchtime. What you're about to hear is part of the Gone by Lunchtime Megapod, a 12-hour epic event recorded on September 20 at Spinoff HQ. Enjoy. Tēnā koutou katoa, this is the Election Megapod 2023. I'm Toby Manhire. Later this hour, we'll be joined by Robert Patman from Otago University. He'll be talking about the foreign policy issues that we're not talking about but should be talking about in this campaign. But first, Erica Stanford, National MP, is with us. Hi, Erica. Hello. Thanks, thanks for coming for in. Me. I won't quiz you about foreign policy. I think that's <laughs> Excellent. <a> that's <laughs> if you have any, like, you know, overwhelming <laughs> thoughts about foreign policy, you're welcome to share them. I'm asking everybody who comes in to this ridiculous day-long podcast to do three things. The first of that is to have a guess to go and to, to, to potentially win a box of chocolate fish mm-hmm. to guess what the turnout will be on October 14. From the conversations I've had on doorsteps around the country, because we're doing a lot of door knocking with our candidates, mm-hmm. I think the turnout is going to be quite low. Right. I think there are a number of uh, of left-wing voters, Labour voters, that are disillusioned. They don't want to vote for Labour, that's what I'm hearing, but uh, they don't know what to do and they've, said, they've, they've actually said to us, we're just not going to vote. So uh, my pick is something down around that sort of 74 mark. So I'll, I'll right, hit, okay. let's say 74.3. 74.3, okay. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's going to be quite low, which is unfortunate because you want people to partake in the participate in the mm-hmm. democratic process, but I think there are a lot of disillusioned people out there who felt feel, who feel very let down. So you say to them, when you say it's important that you vote, you should vote for Labour. Why don't you just go and vote no, for No, I tell Labor? them why. You should, you should <laughs> have you considered national, and then I give them my, my pitch on the doorstep. <laughs> um, next question. Political TV show. I don't know if you're a fan of West Wing or House of Cards or Veep or any of those sorts of that world of quite often – you know, sad, sado politicians and political media like myself do consume those things. If you had to choose one to take to a desert island, which would you choose? I really liked House of Cards. Oh. I watched that. I the American that one. Great. The American okay. one. Um, but I, I could, to be honest, I tend not to watch them. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, and my husband loves them. He's listening and he, he'll be laughing. I find them really stressful. Uh, with this job, oh. I like to come home and watch just mind-numbingly you know, easy reality TV rubbish yeah. because otherwise it, it's just too stressful yeah. to, and I just want to relax and so I don't tend to watch as much. But we used to watch House of Cards. I always remember um, Jamie Lee Ross, whose, whose name may be familiar to you, 
<laughs> from another epoch, uh, wrote a piece. I commissioned Jamie Lee Ross to write a, pe- a piece when he was just a sort of a, a whippersnapper national MP. He went to the Republican National Convention mm. and he wrote in the piece, I can't remember the exact wording, but something about how it was so exciting and it made him feel like House of Cards. And it's kind of, I think there is a danger without wanting to necessarily necessarily do psychoanalysis on Jamie Lee Ross, there is a danger of believing that stuff's real. Mm. And <laughs> it's know? so not. It is so not. It's not like that at all. Um, Would it be quite but, boring, a, a TV show, actually, about the halls of power? Uh, no, that's not true. There are some things, and we've talked about this in, in pre- previous times you and I have chatted about yeah. the dramas, um, but it's certainly nothing like it is on House of Cards. I mean, all of that underhanded scheming and... and you know, uh, and trying to bring people down and that stuff, that just doesn't happen. Um, but, of course, things explode and there's there's drama and there's excitement, but it's not quite uh, as Machiavellian, I think, yeah, as yeah. <laughs> it's House of Cards. Yeah. Um, it's more often, they're quite, quite usually, not always, cock-up is more often to blame than conspiracy. Is that your experience? In the, <laughs> Probably. The yeah. um, third question, uh, we're doing a mojo meter inspired by your leader, Christopher Luxon, who likes talking about mojo. Mm-hmm. He's talked a lot about New Zealand having lost its mojo. And he's doing everything he can out there to go and find it again. He's, you know, travelling up and down the country, dirt tracks, beaches, looking for that mojo, Mm. to reinstate that mojo. This is a scientific exercise we're conducting, asking everyone to to describe their own level of mojo on a scale of zero, no mojo, all gone mojo. This is just your personal at this Mm. moment. Ten, full mojo. Where are you on that? On that we are, issue? well, I you certainly, personally. I'm 10 mojo 10. at the moment. You're 10 mojo. Honestly, I mean, on Monday I was in South Canterbury, yesterday I was in Nelson, tonight I'm in Invercargill. We are go, go, go. We're not sitting back thinking that this is just going to land in our laps. We're, we're having to work so hard and you have to have mojo to be able to do that. Okay. Writing policy, doing public meetings, um, yeah. So does that, mean that, does that mean that Christopher Luxon is wrong? There's lots of mojo in the country. Well, he's got lots just of mojo, in the and it's candidates. infectious. Okay. Right? So he sort of <laughs> spread his mojo He's going to single-handedly renew the, the mojo. <laughs> Maybe that's he's just he's a planning. mojo machine. He's like a fire hose of mojo. Well, you've seen him on the election campaign. He is the ultimate energizer bunny. He is. I don't bad. know how he does it, because I know he's in bed well after midnight. Did I you, know he's up did, at half did past you four know, in the morning. Be honest. Did you know that he was going to be like that? Because I think he's been really impressive. He took to it like a duck to water in terms terms of the I mean obviously there are, there are some some areas where he's he's stronger than others but in terms of that kind of stuff which is not not everyone can do I'd be terrible at it going around and just sort of beaming and enjoying in the way that John Key did for example was he really enjoying those interactions with people did you did you expect that or have you been surprised? I did I mean I, I before he was the leader and in his very early days as leader I spent lots of time with him on, on visits and out talking to people yeah. he is you can never get him away from people we'd go to a cafe and We've lost Luxon. Where is he? He's out the back talking to the, the chefs. Mm. Uh, and, and we're always late because he just can't stop chatting with people. It's infectious. He's, you know, I, I, we saw that very early on and it's just kind of ramped up a level. He loves talking to people. He loves interacting um, and he's full of energy and he doesn't need much sleep, which I can't say the same for myself. No, he's got some crazy regime of like 5 a.m. starts and midnight to bed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's because he's, he's a very clean living soul. That's the answer. He drinks some Pepsi Max. Oh, Don't think he's too clean okay. living. He's right. not perfect. Okay, that's edgy. I've got the Coke edgy. Zero. Yeah, yeah, I've got the Coke Zero <laughs> addiction. He's got the Pepsi Max addiction. Did you watch the debate last night? I didn't. I was in a, a public meeting in Nelson and then we had a dinner, so I've missed it. I haven't even I haven't managed to catch up today, but I've seen some snippets. Yeah. What were you doing in Nelson? I did some uh, school visits. Oh, yeah. I did a I did a boxing class with Victory Boxing, who take um, at risk kids. 
and uh, do boxing classes with them amongst a lot of other stuff and we spent an hour, it was billed to me as hey we're just going to get a photo op and I did a full hour session of skipping and press ups and running and boxing with these 11 and 12 year olds uh, and, then, and then we did a public meeting and a, and a dinner, so full on day. How is, your, how is your interactions with teachers? Because you know, broadly speaking, the teaching community is uh, tend to vote Labour, not all of them um, how is that? How have those? Have you been? Have you been having some difficult conversations? Have you been trying to make the case for the what? What do you call your package? It's got some alliterative teaching, title. Teaching the basics brilliantly and National's yeah, literacy yeah, guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that going? Really good, actually. And of course, look, it, 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 I have been on a tour of this country, and I have been into. I can't even count. So many schools, so many staff rooms, so many principals' offices talking to them about our policy um, and principals' federation meetings and groups of principals all over the country. Uh, and the, the, the feedback is really good because a lot of what we're doing is just evidence-based stuff. A lot of schools are doing it already, but we want it to be consistent. And when I get out there and talk to them and go, this isn't scary, this isn't me coming in and flipping the table and doing a 180-degree handbrake turn, this is sensible, evidence-based, best practice, uh, and we're going to you know, put some funding behind it in terms of our structured literacy policy. And it's, it's going down really well. And the phonics thing, you know, which is such yeah. a, I mean, I've got, I've got school-age children, and I don't know. Right, but I mean, there is an argument that says, let the schools use the system that they think think works best for the children. That that would seem to be quite a quite a national party approach. Let them decide. Let you know devolve that responsibility. So what? Mm. Why not do? Why not? Why not allow that to continue happening? Well, because we've been doing that, and it hasn't worked. Uh, we have. Uh, been down a path of of, of the, the balanced literacy approach, which sounds wonderful. Great, it's got some balance. It's uh, got B in it. You'd it's like got, to bring yeah. back brilliant balance yeah, better. Yeah, no, but uh, it is. Uh, look, it's not the best way to teach kids to read. It is. It is teaching our kids the habits of poor readers. Look at the picture. Guess the word. Have a think about the context. Look at the first letter. Those are the habits of poor readers, and that's what we've been doing for so long. And it, it came out of. Um, New Zealand. It was a research that was done here in New Zealand in the 60s before we knew how the brain learnt to read. Um, but we now know how the brain learns to read through hundreds and hundreds of cognitive studies. We know that we can get 95% of kids reading proficiently by year three if we do it using structured literacy. It's already done in a number of schools. The international rev- evidence, our own local evidence suggests it's the best way. You know, If we want to turn around things really quickly structured literacy and an explicit way of teaching phonics and, and literacy is absolutely the way to go. And I take your point. National are not normally the party of mandating things, but within that policy we've said, okay, we're going to mandate structured literacy, but you can choose your provider. You can choose the uh, the, the decodable books from any, any source you like, mm. and we will fully fund that. So there is a lot of choice in there, but actually we don't have time to muck around. 80% of the people in our prisons are basically illiterate. And... Uh, Andrew Beecroft the other day said 80% of the kids doing RAM raids have very low levels of literacy. He said our biggest crime-fighting tool is good literacy in schools, and I agree with him. Mm. And I'm not willing to muck around any longer when I know the evidence is clear. The ACT Party has its sights on education, some commentators say. You know, they have some strong views. It's something that, that, that fuels David Seymour quite strongly. He's, you know, in terms of charter schools particularly... Is there part of you that is conscious that you've put together your policy package, you're up there, you're ready to go, and then it's something that could, just by the nature of MMP, be like, sorry, Erica, but this is the policy now for education? 
course. I mean, that can always happen. Um, but I've been in a, a debate recently with David Seymour where he said he's got no interest in the education portfolio. Oh, really? okay. So he said that at the Auckland Primary Principals Association debate recently when I was sitting there with Jan. So. Did that get a round of applause? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more of a sigh of relief. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, he, he's, he said okay. that publicly. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I would love nothing more to be in that in that portfolio. Right. Of course, that decision is up to Christopher Luxon. Yeah. Um, we'll find out you know, if we are successful at a later time. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The last time you were in this building, I think, was when we had a candidate diary reunion so it was a really special evening i thought and we had um it's because the backstory to it was that in 2017 back in the distant mists of time uh we ran a series on the spin-off with um first time candidates for parliament it was eric stanford it was chloe swarbrick and it was kerry allen um all of whom you know prospered did incredibly well Afterwards, I'm not saying there's a link between those things. <laughs> it was more that we, we sought advice on who might be good people to bring in. Um, now, since we had that evening, um, Kerry Allen has uh, has quit politics, you know, and there were she obviously had a, a tumultuous time. We all know what happened. We don't need to necessarily retread all of that. But in light of what happened there, some of the discussion we had about the daily reality of political parliamentary life. Has that made you, you, you must have reflected on all that more in the aftermath. Yes. You have to look after yourself. And it is, I mean, especially at the moment, it is, you know, so busy and so full on. Mm. Um, But the job is very, very demanding. And it is high levels of stress because you are constantly, not only trying to do your work, but constantly worrying about what the media are, trying to get at you on and and balancing a whole lot of things and trying to say the right thing and not the wrong thing. It is very stressful and you do need to look after yourself. Um, But I think you also need to go into politics knowing what what potential issues you might have and and make sure that you take care of yourself around that. Like, you know, if you do – look, and I've actually not said this publicly before, but I struggle with depression in my 20s. I was on antidepressants for, I think, before I had children for about eight years – so I know my limitations uh, and I know when I'm starting to feel a bit rubbish and I know how to you know, try and get over that. And I've got a, an amazing supportive husband. Mm. Um, so you do need to know your limitations, your trigger points and know when to step back and take a breath and what you need to do to right yourself. And I mean, most people struggle from time to time with different things, but it's just making sure you identify those bits uh, and, and when they might flare up and, and take care of yourself, especially in this role. To, to, and mo, I mean, most people either have an experience of that personally or they have a friend, family or whatever, 
but also most of us don't work in in the beltway. You know, it's really hard. So if you know your trigger points, that's great. How does that work when you, when you've got officials, colleagues, public, media, all that pressure coming in? That's that must be incredibly hard to pull the cord. It is, and I, I mean, I, I don't know all the details around Carrie Allen, but obviously she was an extremely high profile. Yeah. job uh, as a minister with many portfolios and that that pressure would have been huge I mean I'm I'm just a you know an opposition MP trying to do my best the spotlight on us is nothing like what, what would have been on her um, and so you know as much as I say we've well, got to look at your trigger points and make sure that you, you look after yourself uh, it is going to step up a, a whole nother level for those people going into being new ministers, it really is. So, I'll, you know, if I, we are successful and I do happen to become a minister, I will talk mm. to you again in 12 months and let you know how it's right. going. Yeah, I mean, is that, I mean, yeah, again, this is, none of this is to, to, to take anything for granted, but mm. are there mechanisms put in place, whether it's through parliamentary service, whether it's through the party, to, because it is, you're right. I mean, it will, if it's, it's hell of a busy now, but that's only going gonna, to gonna, gonna, gonna compound if you become a member of Cabinet. Yeah, well, at the moment, we've got an incredibly supportive caucus, and that's actually led by Christopher Luxon. He does a great job we, in making sure that we get together once a block, that we are sitting together, having a drink, de-stressing, using each other to you know share our issues and problems with and have a, have a laugh and, and de-stress. So he, he's made sure that we do that, and we all look after each other. Um, and there are things through parliamentary service as well that you can, you can get counselling sessions and you can get help through parliamentary services should you need it. Have you had one of? Have you done a performance review with him? You know, he's doing performance. Have you yes. had one of those? How's yes, I, yeah, well, I, I sit down with Christopher Luxon regularly. But like formally, uh, is it like this is the performance review uh, <coughs> in your not, diary? And he not, goes through your KPIs. Uh, KPIs, uh, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's not super formal. He's a bit. He, oh, really? He's a bit more casual with me. I don't know what others are like. Right. But we sit down very regularly. He's, what are you working on? What are your plans? Here's where I need you to focus. Um, you know, at one point, you know, he sort of said to me, Erica, you're great on immigration. I need you to take your foot off that accelerator and put it on education. Hmm. Uh, so he's, he's always been very clear with the outcomes that he wants us to get. And then we I mean, I catch up with him every couple of weeks just to go through how things are going and the policy that I'm working on to make sure it aligns with his vision. Uh, so it's not super formal and stressful, but it's just sort of this ongoing dialogue. But he's very clear about where he wants us to go. And that's been quite different and quite refreshing. You, you've, I think you've described yourself as Tearly, you know, you're a you're 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 a tearly blue, a member of the blue greens. I'm assuming. Yes. How do you feel about where your party is now? Todd Moller, who was sort of departed on a <clears throat> in a cloud of, of of adoration from across the house. Really, it was quite quite mm. moving to watch. Do you feel as though you're are you comfortable with where your party is on climate change? It seems to have slipped lately. I don't agree. And I also look at some of our, our candidates coming through. There are some incredibly uh, intelligent uh, blue-green candidates who will yeah. be in, in the National Caucus um, after Election Day. Uh, so I, I think if I look at the future of our party and our, our blue-green caucus, I'm, I'm buoyed by that. Um, but also when I look at our policy, I mean, I always say that National are the Party are the practical environmentalists. Some of the stuff that we're doing is, is really smart and targeted. You know, I'm... I'm I'm really happy with our, with Judith's tech policy around gene editing. You know what? We can halve the cow herd or we can invest in research and actually do that research here to be world leaders in how to reduce our agricultural emissions because no other country in the world is even looking at that. They're too busy going, how do we move away from coal to gas? 
Um, you know, so we've got some advantages that we can leverage. Uh, and so when you look at our policy, it's smart policy um, and not just slogans. I mean, we've seen that in the last six years from this government. Oh, climate change is Jacinda's nuclear-free moment. Well, guess what? In her first term, emissions went up. Uh, we're importing more dirty coal apart from the last six months than we ever have. And the only reason the last six months have gone down is because the lakes have been full. So, you know, actually we're, we're not worried about slogans. We're worried about well, what works, what investment is you know, to but put into the right you, place. Like, I mean, do you feel genuinely comfortable about reopening, you know, offshore gas drilling? Yeah, I do. Really? Yep, absolutely. Well, when the lakes are low, the wind's not blowing, and the sun's not shining, what do we do? We can keep importing dirty Indonesian coal, or we can do the thing. We can turn that tap on when we need to, mm. uh, to supplement our uh, uh, renewables with something that has got half of the emissions of dirty coal. Now, look, do we want to be doing that all the time? No. And one of our policies, uh, you would have seen, is, is uh, doubling our renewable energy sources. Um, so, so while we're doing that, uh, we are always going to need something that we can turn on uh, and gas, natural gas, is is that um, alternative? It's better than the coal we've been we've been burning while we get ourselves up to more more renewables. Um, Audrey Young, the doyen of the press gallery, wrote recently a piece um, about future leadership <coughs> configurations, in which she mentioned a Willis uh, <laughs> a Willis Stanford ticket. Now, this is not. I'm not asking you about that. So, so, so forget that. Um, and then she said, but that's not possible, of course, because you can't have two women. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Maybe she yeah, didn't say that. It's impalatable. And then Anna Rafferty-Connor, one of my colleagues, wrote a piece in which she said, this is, come on, this I is what, 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 what the day and age we live in. Do you think, would you like to think, and this is not a question about you, so let's not try and pretend that this is a leadership spill. Um, do you think that New Zealand would be ready for a woman Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister? 100%. Yeah? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. I was quite shocked to read what Audrey wrote, actually. I, I 100% disagree. Hmm. Um, I think that uh, you know, even the National Party are perfectly capable of having two women, and, and we would consider it's not something we would rule out. Uh, uh, and I think the public are ready for it, quite frankly. Hmm. Uh, and so you don't get any sense when you're out on the campaign trail or in your inbox that there remains a kind of a sexism at large in New Zealand that would make. make I don't impossible. see it at all. Mm. I don't see it. And I get asked this quite a bit. You know, a woman more targeted in politics, and is it worse for you? And I can only speak from my experience, but That's I right. don't see that. But then when we did have that evening as well, I remember that Chloe and Curry relayed some experiences, and you went, oh. Actually, I you thought know. of a couple. But, but <laughs> since then, I've actually, because I've thought about it more deeply, because I got asked recently in a, in a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a woman's uh, interview, uh, and I had to think about it in advance, and I thought, yes, I do get some nasty things, you know, her hair's too long and whatever. And I thought, well, so do the guys. I mean, Andrew, Andrew Little gets called Angry Andy. My hashtag on Twitter is Mean Girl Stanford. I Which, think he got called Angry Andy by the National Party, he didn't he? But yeah. everyone calls him Angry Andy now. Like, we all, we all get stuff, right? Everyone gets labelled with something. I don't, from my perspective, and I can't speak for all women, I don't think what I get is any worse than what the guys get, actually. Okay. And I, I don't tend to dwell on it. I just, you know, forge ahead, right? Um, the education is obviously a passion. I know you're not tertiary education, are you? You've got the separate yep. um, spokesperson. But the universities just quickly on that, are in a state. You know, you talk to anyone who they're they're, they're sort of pleading for, really, for more more money to get them through this period as they rebuild post-COVID, da-da-da-da. What's National's position on that? Is National going to help 
universities with money? You won't have long to wait before we uh, announce some policy around helping our tertiary sector. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is something that's coming. Okay. um, And I've had a hand in that. Um, So from both both perspectives, from immigration and and education. So uh, we are very aware that that the sector is really struggling. Uh, And frankly, when I look at what the government have done to the international student market over the last six years... We shouldn't be surprised at where we're at. Well, that's what done COVID everything. did that to the international student market, didn't it? Well, why is it that Australia and Canada are back to pre-pandemic student numbers and when, if we're lucky at half? And they've been back for a long time. And do you think that's an immigration shortcoming? There is, a, there is, a, a, there is an immigration, yes, absolutely. Yeah. These guys absolutely went into immigration after, uh, after, the, uh, after the pandemic and cut out a whole lot of stuff that attracts students to come to New Zealand. Now, the Aussies, man, they're smart. Right from early last year, when we still had our borders closed, they went, right, we want students back. And they could see that our borders were closed. And they were like, right, awesome. We will take all of your international students. And you know what? They did. They were smart. They had welcoming policies. Uh, it used to be our fourth biggest export earner. And, that, it, you know, how universities were doing well, our polytechnics were doing well. Uh, and that has all disappeared because of the Im- specific immigration policies that this government put in place to make it much harder for international students to choose New Zealand. Because they literally go, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK, and they list all of the stuff that we offer, and they're not choosing us. You got, uh, I think you uh, appeared on a lot of people's radars in the immigration portfolio first when you you know, pushed quite hard and there's the merging out of COVID period. Is that something that gets fire in your belly as well as education? Is, is immigration something you get? Are you, are you going to be in there saying, I want that portfolio too, uh, if, the, if, the, if the cards fall that way? Well, look, I, I love the immigration portfolio. I asked for it. I mean, I, I love education as well. Uh, immigration, I love daughter of an immigrant and I could see how important it was going to be. And when you look at our our birth rate uh, and, and, and our ageing population and how things look in the future structurally for New Zealand, immigration is going to be vital. Two-thirds of our population growth will come from immigration in the future. We have a birth rate at the moment of 1.6. And to main, remain stable, it needs to be 2.1. So, you know, you do the math. We are going to rely on them more and more. So our immigration settings are vitally important. And you need someone who understands immigration law, who understands how migrants work and what they want um, from from policy settings, how businesses work, what the country needs, and and tied in with infrastructure. Uh, You need someone who understands all that. And I think in the last six years we've had a a number of ministers who didn't get it, and things haven't been going well. So, uh, yes, I am really passionate about that as well. But I certainly won't be going to Luxon telling him what I want, because I think he, A, he probably knows, but also he, he makes those decisions. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But you reckon you could manage, take both of those? Quite big portfolios. They are. They are, and he will make that call. Um, uh, a listener writes in to say, Erica at university was essentially undefeated and unbeatable at the jug skulls. Would you care to comment? It's one of my greatest achievements in life. Yeah, three years open jug skull, girls jug, jug skull champion. Wow. Yeah, those are the good old days when you used to be able to do boat races in the quad. Okay. Can't do that anymore. Is that, We've is gone that, all woke. Is that not, not something that's happening in national caucus meetings? <laughs> no, I'm too old. I can't do it anymore. Erica versus Simeon in the boat races. <laughs> I would kick his I would butt. pay money to watch is that. that sub four second jugs in my heyday. Simeon, if you if you want to come in, the invitation is open. <laughs> 
Um, I think he was thinking about it. I don't think we were anyway. Uh, uh, Simeon, if you're listening, come on in. Come on in. I promise not to make you drink a jug of beer, but we will chat. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Good luck with the rest of the campaign. And we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much for having me. This is the spin-off 2023 Gone by Lunchtime Election Megapod. We're doing fine. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. There's plenty more where this came from on your Gone by Lunchtime feed. Thanks to Jane, Te here, and Samuel, and the rest of the team at the spin-off for making the Megapod happen. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.